0: Lo Van Pham. I'm an NFL side judge. Uh, this past season, my
1: first year in, in the league. Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. We came here when I was about seven years old,
0: uh, left, left Asia around... November, December, I got here in the United States around that time frame back in 79. And when I got here, we went straight from Asia over to Emerald, Texas, um, do the Catholic Catholic Family Charity Services, do my parents' connection, and grew up there in Emerald, Texas. And did you play sports in high school? Absolutely. I, I played, I started off playing grade school softball. That's what I got into. That's how I, I kind of got you know, introduced to the American lifestyle. The American sport was playing softball, then from there played tackle football, junior high football, and then from there high school football. And of course Texas high school football is huge here in the state of Texas. And
1: you grew up probably around the same time as Dap Wynn, right? I believe so. I think he might be a little younger, I believe.
0: You know, he played in the league. But yeah, we're we're roughly about the same age. Yeah. We I didn't I never had a chance to meet him, but you know and I kind of followed him when he was at Texas A&M and then, of course I followed him just watching him play you know just very proud to see him play in the big leagues you know being a Vietnamese um of descent you know and coming from where our people came from that was that was huge because I love football and and just when I just turned on the TV and watching him play I said no nah, man I was jealous but 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 at the same time I was so happy for him
1: yeah i mean did you have aspirations of becoming uh, a player in the NFL I had aspirations of playing in college football,
0: you know, that's where I, my aspiration, that's, that's why I love playing a game with someday, you know, being like those guys on Saturdays. And then of course, you know, I'm only five foot eight, you know, 150 pounds on a wet, rainy day, you know, fully soaked, but, but yeah, but that didn't stop me from dreaming big, you know, just wanting to play and I played, I mean, I made the varsity. I was a, I was a two year letterman, you know, in high school football. I played defensive back and uh, i enjoyed every moment of it and I, you know of course so at some point in time you know as as i got older the guys around me became bigger and so i really couldn't compete at the college or more high school level so i figured you know what my route is probably academia and that's that's where i'm headed so what was that path for you like you know i, I graduated uh high school there in emerald texas from there Went to the University of Texas for about a year, and after that, transferred over to Texas Tech, received my undergrad in civil engineering there. And right after that, went straight to grad school, which is uh, at the University of Colorado at Boulder. So we just received my master's degree in structural engineering there at CU Boulder. Go Buffs!
1: So you went all the way through with engineering? I did. I did. How did you make that transition into becoming a ref? Just it was just a passion, you know. It was just a
0: passion. I, I've always loved the game, even when I left high school. I mean, it was I still watched it, you know, religiously when I was in college. You know, going to school at Tech, watching the the Red Raiders play that was exciting. And then when I graduated, you know, at the time, you know, University of Colorado was was pretty strong, and 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 of course the the culture of CU and and the the city that's in because I love the outdoors. That's what really drove me to. To go to Colorado, and when I was there, I just kind of fell in love with the place, and you know, I just wanted to just be a part of that, and
1: still continue to watch football when I was at Colorado. So, what were these steps of becoming an NFL rep? Did you come into sort of coaching your children or nephews or at a school? Like, how what, what was the progression like?
0: You know, when I when after I graduated from Colorado, of course, all my friends were
1: still you know,
0: finish up their, their degree plan at CU. And we would used to hang out on Saturdays together playing sports, you know, at the at the Rec Center. But when I moved to Denver, I was literally bored because I I guess I was too lazy to drive up to CU Boulder, you know, to to hang out with them. So I ended up on Saturdays, I would just after working during the week, I I looked up in the ad and paper that I you know, wanted to officiate you know, like the Pee Wee football leagues. You know, just like little kids, you know, little, you know, fifth, sixth graders playing on Saturdays. And they had a need for officials at the time. And we still do today. Um, so I answered an ad, went out to the field, met some folks. You know, they told me to go to this field. You got a game at nine o'clock. And then from there, it just kind of took off. And I became hooked after that. You know, it's it was scary because I didn't have any formal training. But at the same time, it was fun. And that's what I got out of it. You know, it was really fun. And I just became hooked on it. And then, of course, through that, through the course of that season, I got more involved in games and I eventually moved back to Texas and, um, you know, joined the local high school chapter. And from there, it just kind of took off again, really no aspiration of being college or NFL. I mean, nothing that never really registered with me. Number one, you know, I'm, I'm Vietnamese, number one. And I'm like, well, how common is it to have an Asian guy, well, not only just an Asian guy, being on the football field? Number one, number two, because of where we're at geographically in Texas, we were away from the Austins and the, and the Dallas, and, you know, that Houston, where football was really really big. As in terms of officiating, you know, those were those guys. That's where all the the great officials come out of are those areas. And and to me, I just wanted to just to be on the field, just to have fun, and 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 to really be the best official I can be at my position at that time. And so that's kind of where what got me hooked on it. It wasn't because of the long-term aspiration of being a college or an or NFL referee. I just wanted to be the best high school guy there is.
1: How many years ago
0: was this when you answered the ad? Back in 2000.
1: So it's been over 23 years. 2000, yep. That is incredible that there wasn't a long-term plan or strategy or an aspiration to become in NFL ref it was just answering an ad just because it was just bored. answering an ad yeah I mean I
0: I, I it, it wasn't even a part of my dream I mean it wasn't even you know I mean like once I started getting hooked on it and having fun and meeting wonderful people. that's the other thing dude just meet wonderful people along the journey you know it was always never for me it was never always the next step for me it was always the journey about going to different places meeting different places you know going to Fargo, North Dakota, but why would I go to Fargo, North Dakota? I went there to officiate a game and it was, it was awesome. You know, when I, when I was doing college ball, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, it was never a dream. And, And I tell people to this day, don't, you know, when you go to these, these camps and clinics, you know, to try to get hired on, don't think about the next level because you can't really control it. What you can't control is, you know, you stay in shape, you study the rules, you watch a lot of film, be the best person that you are. You know who you are, and don't try to go out there and put on a show because people will see that and they will they will weed you out just because they know that you're not genuine. So you got to be really genuine, and you got to be honest with yourself too. You know, at some point in time, because it's it's a it's a tough thing to get into, but it's very rewarding.
1: You said something about getting in shape. What does that have to do with being a ref? I mean, pardon my ignorance, but aren't you just standing on you know just a, a little bit out of the way of the players? And you're just watching. Oh, I, I guess why do you have to be in shape? Oh, okay.
0: appearance is everything. You know, it's just like a job interview. You show up, your shirt's not tucked in. Your, you know, your shoes not tied. I mean, it 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 speaks volume. So us us as officials, you know, we show up to work a game. The first impression we're gonna have on the, on the coach is how we dress. I mean, that right there tells you how much credibility you're going to have wow. being on the field to work for him. I mean, if you look at a guy, you know, he's, he's looked like he's toned. He's, he's in great shape. He can move. That's the important thing, right? In officiating, we got to be able to move. And uh, you know, if you're not in shape or your, your
1: mobility is limited, then you're not going to be able to do your job to see the action. Most of those guys are in great shape or all of them are in great all shape. Here. They're in excellent shape. I in excellent, excellent shape. Is it something that you test for before you go on to the big leagues?
0: At the higher level, we do, you know, we do have physicals and BMI that we have to test for yearly, annually. Most college conferences do, and i not all college conferences do it. You know, number one is it's for your safety, and for your health, you know, as a person. But at the same time, they wanna know that if you're gonna go you know, provide officiating services for them, they want to know you're in shape, that you are, you know, at the top of your game, especially that you
1: can. You know, I I didn't prepare, I I prepared a lot of questions, but one thing I didn't think about was this question of physicality. Have you ever been knocked around in in games? You know, the physicality health, because in
0: in the college game, you know, is very exhausting. And exhausting because... On average, it's it's close to you know I worked in the Big Twelve, and of course the being the Big Twelve it's a lot of scoring right, a lot of points. I mean, it's just a lot of offense. Let's just say a lot of offense, right? And so those games that they throw the ball around a lot, I mean a lot. I mean a lot. It's it's pretty much you know, prevalent in college football now, especially at the Power Five level. But the games are long. I mean. It, it tests you physically and it tests you mentally, probably more so mentally because you got to stay sharp. You know, the average play probably lasts eight seconds, like from snap to dead ball, eight seconds. So it becomes a cycle in your mind. You know, you work the play, you kind of take a break and then you have to reset and get ready for the next play. So there's, there's that dead period. And then there's a live ball period. Then we go back to dead period. So we do this, you know 200 times a game in college sometimes 220 times a game in college and so yeah it's it's uh it's very exhausting and and that's where i think the physicality and also the the, the mental you know your mental
1: state really helps you go through
0: those games
1: so at what point do you go from peewee to high school and then to college and then to big 12 into the nfl like what was that progression like you know starting pee wee, you kind of kind of learn from the some of the veterans
0: um you learn kind of where to go what to look for and as you get more you know it's all about experience you get more experience than you you dabble in high school football high school football becomes a little bit more serious you know these these high school it's all about the kids and they you know, we want to be able to to do a good job. We want to be able to um, know the rules and enforce the rules correctly, you know, because there's a lot of planning, a lot, of, a lot at stake, you know, for any high school team to play on Friday night, Saturday night. And so with that, you know, as you become more experienced, you know, if you have the ambition, you sign up to go to what they call officiating camps and clinics that they have throughout the country. You know, you can Google that. And um, there's camps starting in like, february to like june july that you go to where the supervisors get to see you you introduce yourself to them they put you on a roster so they kind of see you work so you do this year in year out you know and that's what i did I, i kept on i went for you know five years straight going to different clinics throughout the country i went to fresno california i went to houston arkansas i went to all these camps that were that that supervisors were at where they were watching us and evaluating us, and so once they see you, then they invite you to other camps. So when they invite you to other camps, then they say, "Hey, would you be interested in working, you know, Southland Conference, for instance, you know, D- Division One, AA. Then from there, other supervisors might see you and says, "Hey, would you be interested in working, you know, Division One, you know, the Mountain West, or you know, if you continue to have success." And you become, you know, power five qualified and say, would you want to come work mm-hmm. in the Big 12, Big 10, SEC, Pac-12, so on and so forth. And once you're in college, you know, there's always scouts out there, from what i understand, honest. There's, there's scouts out there evaluating officials throughout the country. And so they have regional scouts that go out and look, you know, they might be watching. They may show up and watch a game that I work, but if you're my crew. They might see a kid and say, hey, what about that guy right there? You know, we don't know much about him. Let's let's do some more research on him. And so that's how we kind of get recruited, you know, for, for the NFL. That's how, that, that's how that process takes. And at the camps, uh, how long are they? They're usually – that's a good question. You know, they go from anywhere from three days to a week. It's a lot of time investment. That's a lot of time from – away from family, from yeah, spouses kids you know on a on a spring afternoon or summer afternoon i mean and and these camps are you know they're
1: they're they're fairly expensive i mean i was going to ask you that was was the next question like who finances the trips to the camps and do you have to pay for the camps who's paying for all of that well that that comes out of all of our our pocket and we 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 look at it as as
0: an investment as in terms of like just trying to become a better official so that's so that's what we pay into to try to get, you know, as much experience to learn as much as we can from veteran officials from throughout the country. And the, the people that come teach these class, you know, they're seasoned veterans, whether longtime college officials or current NFL officials that have honed their skills throughout the year. And so they come and teach guys like me and other young guys, hey, this is what we want you to do. This is what we, lo- what we like. This is what we don't like. Here's how you can you can become a better official. And so, yes, it's um, it's a lot of money invested that comes out of our own pocket. And the, the biggest part is the sacrifice.
1: Yeah, the time. The time. Yeah, yeah. but I-, I can imagine people who aspire to get better at refing will go and pay these, you know, these camps and these in- for instruction, but maybe they're not real material to keep advancing to higher levels. I mean, do you find that You know, there's got to be some sort of criteria inside of our body that you have talent for this. I mean, are the people that the guys and women that showing up to these camps, all people that are potential upgrades from where they are or are there people that show up and they're like really crappy and they just have this like pipe dream and they just pay to learn more. But really, you know, you get a mixed bag of people or are all of them people like at your level who are just sharp and then going in and, you know, you have this cohort of amazing people.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, it takes a lot. You know, to, it takes a lot to even be at the high school level you know. And, and out there right now, there's, there's a lot of great high school official, whether you're a young high school official or, you know, a 50 something, 60 something year old high school official, you know, that you, that you can referee, but sometimes, you know, you're limited by obviously, uh, on staff you know, there's only so many slots right on staff that, that yeah. they can bring on and unfortunately you know sometimes it, and you know i always believe in luck i mean that's just how i am uh, i believe in luck and a lot of where i am today is because of the luck that i've had i prepare myself to be in the right situation i can control what i can control and the rest whether they select me or not it's not up to me it's really up to them but i put myself in position to be able to take, take advantage of the opportunity now there's people out there that keep on going to these camps like you say you know but there's some point in time you know i always put a limit on like how many years i was going to go i mean i just you know i just i was very realistic and very honest with myself i said look i'm going to go to these, these camps for 5 6 years 7 and after that if i know that you know if i keep on going put myself in front of the same people and I'm still not getting elevated up, then it's probably time to say, you know what, I'm okay with that. I'm happy with where where I'm at. I'm going to continue officiating at whatever level I'm officiating. And that's the kind of mindset you have to have. Now, some people obviously, you know, don't get that shot, you know, to to, to be where, you know, at at a higher level. But that's just the reality of, of our business, that there's only so many slots that they can take, you know, just like being on a team, right? I mean, the basketball team takes twelve to fifteen kids. Well, there's twenty kids that try out. You know, not that they're incapable of playing, but you know, it's it's what the bar is, and you got to meet that bar in order in order to 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 participate. How much are the camps? Roughly, they range. When I started going, they range back then probably eight hundred. That that's only to register for the camp. That's just the camp fee. That doesn't include you know your travel include your hotels, your meals, whatnot. Nowadays it's up to, I've seen some up to like 1800 per camp. And if you do the math, you know, there's 60, 70 hundred officials that show up to that. So do the Wait, math on that.
1: How many officials that show up to the camp?
0: There, there's up to about a hundred a hundred or so officials show up.
1: That is a and lot that's not of people. Cool. That's a lot of people. A lot of people with big dreams and big ambitions. I thought it was like maybe 20 30 people per camp and they're just like know. working you out like 20 30 people giving you this their time um, and explaining. Yeah, I mean it's 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 quite competitive. It's crowded. Quite competitive,
0: crowded and you know when I first got started we didn't really have a whole lot of tools, you know, we had, you know, we had VHS tape to watch film now everything's digital. You know, everything they can we can go out and work a field a game in in the morning they can film us, and then by by the time we get done in the afternoon they'll pop it up on the on this big screen showing showing us to play, showing our movement, showing what we did wrong, what we did right, what we like, what they like, what they don't like. I mean, it's very it's 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 very high tech
1: nowadays. Different angles. Now, I'm going to ask a question that is uh, something that I'm imagining when an asian dude who's 58 150 shows up to these things it's predominantly white right you know by officiating officiating yeah Yeah. the world's got to be mostly white because you know the the united states is mostly white and when they see this asian person have you ever felt like there was sort of like uh this need to outperform overachieve So, you could get a place on the field? You know, I never thought of it that way. Uh, That never really
0: entered my mind. You know, as you know, growing up, I always wanted to fit in. Whatever you were doing, I wanted to do what you did. I never really thought of it as I'm the minority here. I need to outprove. I need to outprove that. I never thought of it in that terms. You know, am I competitive? Yes. But I didn't think about it in those terms. I always thought about just doing a good job, whether you're Hispanic, African American, whites. I never thought about in those terms. But yeah, no, I that never really, you know, crossed my mind. You know, probably because I was naive and dumb when I was younger. So which is probably good. Not, not where you, you know, As you get older, you become more analytical. You come you, you evaluate things a little bit more. But no, back then I just, I just wanted. I mean, where I grew up, you know, I, I was probably the only. Asian guy in, as part of the chapter, if not the whole state of Texas, that was officiating high school football, and so no, I I didn't really care what color my skin was. I always want to go out there and do a good job and have fun. That was the number one. I just want to have fun and mm. be around the guys that I'm I'm with. You know, the five
1: guys, seven guys that I'm with on Friday nights. Yeah, that's good. It's good that you didn't have that chip on your shoulder because I mean, I I think no, that... I didn't. <laughs> no, because <laughs> it doesn't
0: get me anywhere, right? I mean, you get mad, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah, I can't control that. Yeah.
1: What are some of the skills that you have to have as a ref?
0: What are some of the skills you got to, you got to be able to, you got to be coachable. You got to be able to learn, you got to be able to like, you know, take critiques and take criticisms and take, be able to learn and be open to what people are telling you. You got to be like a big sponge and just, you know, emulate what the people that are having success do and learn from it. You know, we're going to make mistakes. That's just part of officiating, you know. But yeah, you got to have, you got to have the will to want to get better. You know, the, the day, some, some an official told me one time, one of my mentors said, the day that you think that you made it is when the day you need to quit. <laughs> you know, and that's and that's very true because I'm always chasing that bar, you know, I'm never gonna catch it, but I'm I'm always gonna chase it. Because that's the mindset I need to have and in, in order to succeed in officiating as well as in life. You know, the minute you become complacent in something, that's when you let your guards down. That's when you kind of get lazy.
1: Is interesting? I, I don't even want to do that. Yeah. Interesting yeah. answer. Cause I thought you were gonna be like, Oh, you have to have good hand-eye coordination, you have to be, you know, be able to run, you be you have to have like this uh ability to see things very quickly and make assessments, but that's not your answer. Your answer is like You need to be able to learn. You need to be able to be open-minded and have a growth mindset. Absolutely.
0: The game is changing. You know, the game, the the football game is changing ever since when I got started to now. You know, um, back in the day, those guys ran the ball probably 80% of the time. Now it's, you know, they they have the, um, you know, the run pass, you know, the RPOs. And nowadays, you know, it's all about visual acuity. You know, really not a whole lot of movement, but, um, you know, but in it, being able to process mentally what you see, you know, the hardest part in officiating is sometimes it's not what you call, you know, sometimes it's all about what you don't call. You know, you talked about, we you and I talked earlier about the gray areas. The gray areas are very difficult to try to interpret, you know, and sometimes we don't always get it right, but that gray area is is where we are. We are pushed to the limit as far as, from an officiating standpoint, is that a foul or is not a foul? That is that is difficult to do. And that happens quite a bit, even in a game that's, you know, three to nothing. People think, oh, it's a boring game. But for us, that's a tough game to work because it's very competitive. You know, think about that. From a fan standpoint, it's like it's a boring game. But you and I, we're always working if we're on that field.
1: So, how many times a week do you go? What's the uh, the, the frequency of you refing?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So, my my schedule is so so throughout the year, you know, starting in April, we go to mini camps. You know, might be two three days, and then we have a little break, and then come May or June, probably June, we have, you know, other camps we go to, and then around August. That's when all the players show up. So we go work their training camp. So we go do that. And during training camp, there's there's three preseason games that we work before the season even starts. So you got preseason one, preseason two, and preseason three. So we go to we go to different training camps from there. You know, I may go to a training camp in Chicago and my weekend game might be in Houston, Texas. You know, it just kind of varies, you know, they send you all over. So after the the preseason, we have 18 weeks of regular season game, week one, week 18. Out of those 18 weeks, we're off two weeks. So, in, in other words, I shouldn't say we're off, we are on reserve for two weeks. So, even though I'm not assigned a game, let's say week four, I'm on reserve just in case mm. you get hurt and I go now, you know, take your place to work on another crew. Uh, but that's rare. Um, but it has happened so then after the 18 weeks, which ends in like I think it was January, like the first week of January, somewhere in that, in that neighborhood. And after that, we have you know the wild card round, the divisional round, the conference championship, and then obviously the Super Bowl. So if you can put it in perspective, it's a long season for everybody, right? Starting in probably June to like February is when. Is how long the season goes for.
1: And it's for a long them, season. 18 weeks
0: sense. is a long season. I mean, if you count the preseason, that's 21 weeks. And some guys obviously work more than that if they have continue to have you know playoff games, but not. Yeah, that's almost half the year. It is. It is. So, and and after that, you know, for us, you know, we spend the off season studying, like I mentioned, talked about earlier. Yeah.
1: yeah. So
0: really, what's my downtime? Probably about a month, maybe. You know, from February to
1: in a a little over a month to the end of March. Yeah. Now, what about checks and balances out in the field? How many refs are there? How how do you sort of mitigate uh, different things that the different refs are seeing and the cameras are seeing and all of the different coaches and the different teams are seeing very different parts of the game. How do you do the checks and balances and make sure that you guys are kind of consistent with the calls? You
0: know, there's in in college, there's eight of us on the field, and in, in, in the NFL, there's seven of us on the field. You get the referee, the umpire, the line judge, the down judge, the field judge, side judge, and then the back judge. Of course, we have two replays upstairs. So yeah, so we all have areas of responsibilities. You know, uh, certain areas of the field that we cover. So we try to quote unquote box box the play in, right? I mean, that's that's how we we try to get all the angles. Is when a play develops, we have our initial responsibility. And then as the play develop, it changes. It's all—it's not always the same guy I'm looking at. You know, so as a, flu, as a play dictates and flows certain areas, that's what we have to shift. And that's what we have to transition. We talk a lot about that is being able to transition, being able to go away from, you know, a, a non-threatened player it's now, versus now going through a threatened player. You know, so we have to be able to transition quickly. And it may just come around again. So, yeah, I mean, we all have, you know, I never try to like, you know, Look at an area that my referee's already looking or my line is already looking you know could do, because i i trust him that he's got those areas covered and i need to do my part and having my areas covered because if i don't cover those areas nobody will per se so yeah so we all have 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 our roles during
1: during the game you know it's human to kind of check out accidentally when you're in motion when you're at work sometimes but i can't imagine on the field it's a split second. If you snooze real quick, you're, you're, you're gone. Uh, you can't be in the mindset of making a call. Has that ever happened to you?
0: You know, it's, it's, that's where I, I mentioned earlier about the, the mental side of officiating. You know, you got to stay sharp and focused. I mean, we got we to gotta turn on that switch. When we get to the stadium, you know, actually, you know, game day switch, we got we to gotta be on, on top of our game you know, we we can't afford any mental errors, you know, now sometimes we do miss calls just because of the, you know, it's all about angles and what we see, you know, that's, that's the important thing, you know, people at home, watching on TV is totally different from watching on, um, at our, at our level, right, at our field level, because sometimes with high cameras, they see a lot of things that, you know, sometimes we can't see with accuracy, but, um, but yeah, with, with that we we just have to be mentally sharp and focused and that takes you know good night's rest going through our routine every week i mean every week we have a routine i mean i have a routine all the officials have a routine and when you stick with that routine that's kind of recipe for success you know anytime things change you know i mean it's i've worked with guys that are you know 30-year vets to new guys i mean every one of them that have a routine you have a routine that you do every day i have a routine so every time we get bumped for that routine, it kind of you know throws off our timing. But but yeah, it's very important that um we stay physically sharp during the game. How did you get the call to get into the NFL? How did I get the call? You know, it's just it's it's a progress, it's a journey. Like I was telling you, so when I was working in Big 12, they were recruiting us um, you know, potential candidates. And what they do is they put us on the um the development plan. So they invite us after the college season, they invite us to go do, um, you know, all-star games that, that the, that the league is, is, uh, is a part of. So they, they go and they invite us and they invite us to many, mini camps. And so they kind of evaluate us over the years, you know, so this is a long time coming as far as the evaluation hmm. process, but it just doesn't happen overnight. They want to get to know you. They want to get to know what kind of person you are. Are you coachable? And do you have, do we have, what it takes at the next level, you know? And so they evaluate us. I mean, they, they even do a, a personality test on us. Wow. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. It's just not about whether or not candidates can throw a flag and anybody can throw a flag. Right. I mean, anybody can think about that, but yeah, they want to know what they're investing in and it's a long drawn out process. It's probably the longest, I would say if you want to compare it to like just regular employment, it's probably the longest interview process that anybody's ever gone to. I mean, it's like a, for me, it's like a five year process. Cow. And so, yeah. And so, you know, it, like I said, it all depends on, on availability. You know, I was on the program. They started me off going to these clinics, you know, watching a lot of videos with them, learning from them. You know, I shadow some of those guys, you know, in earlier in my career, um, just kind of learning what, what they go through. And, and for us, it's a learning process. Um, some of us get the call and some of us don't, but you know, if you don't, then you just keep on you just keep on grinding and you just keep on doing the things that that you love and then just keep doing the things that that will get you to the next level. And um, but yeah, I just it's 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 a long time coming. I never expected it, but you're very thankful for the opportunity to that I have today,
1: yeah. The evaluation process is five years. It's not just like, you know one year you say they call you and they're like hey come into a program and we'll train you for a year and then you're in but it's like right. it doesn't sound like that
0: yeah it, it varies you know like for me it was five some people it was three some people was six some people i've heard some people was, they've been in the program for seven eight years you know and thinking oh it's it's you know they're they're not gonna call my number but but all of a sudden you know they they get the call so yeah it's there's no magic formula to it really kenneth there's not really a yeah you know, they, it's, it's all about availability when guys retire, you know, last year we had some guys that retired. And so that, that made room for guys like me, you know, and this year there, I think there's some guys that might retire as well. So they'll, they'll be bringing in a new group of officials
1: that's going to come in. So great for them. you know, great for them to have that opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Now I know you said that race was never really a chip on your shoulder or anything like that, but at some point when you're like in the NFL, did you ever think about the significance of being the only Vietnamese to get that far?
0: You know what? I never thought about that until guys like you remind me of it. <laughs> you
1: know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> it's a great thing,
0: you know, because a lot of people have reached out to me saying how great it was, and you know, and I and I think about it, you know, I, I think about it more and more as as these questions come out, and I, you know, and I become very emotional about it because you know, um, to be the first you know, it's not, it's not about, first of all, it's not about me, really, it's about the people around me, you know, that, that have helped me get to this journey, you know what I mean, it's the people that guys like you, and everybody that you've interviewed in your podcast, it's people like that, that have, like, been, like, at the forefront of what they love doing, and they're doing it well, and how they represent our, our culture, and our people, you know, immigrants in general. That's how I look at it, not only as Vietnamese, but as immigrants that come to this country with big dreams, whatever dream that is, you know, that's where they're at today. And 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 I'm just so proud to, to you know, represent our people like that. And to be the first, I was like, wow, what is that? I, I don't even know what that, what that even means. You know, I have people that say that's the coolest thing, you know, coolest objective to me, but, you know, to to represent our people, I think that's the most important. And I hope the younger generation, the Asian generation would follow in my footsteps and not just chase their dream if they want to be, you know, basketball, NBA ref or hockey or, you know, baseball official out there because I'm sure there, there's another low band fam out there somewhere. I, I just haven't met him yet. You know, that he's he's in he's he's a he's a needle in a haystack somewhere that that he hasn't come through yet, but hoping someday that he would, you know, be selected and, and be the next guy. So or gal.
1: Yeah, when I first read about you and heard about you and continued to hear about you, the feeling of pride swells up, you know, because there's very few if not any uh representation in the NFL since that. You know, when that win uh came onto the Cal- Dallas Cowboys, we were all as a community so proud and now, you know, this is uh at the at the next level of um the NFL for us. It's, you know, we we a lot of us watched uh football and just to know that there's a Vietnamese ref out there. <laughs> How cool is that?
0: Yeah, thank you. You know, that's that's good and bad. You know, the only bad thing is they know that I'm the only Asian guy out there. So you can't miss who I am. So but no, it's I'm very honored, you know, very honored um by the people that helped me along the journey. You yeah. know, from my mentors to my parents to my friends to people out there that help. You know, I, I don't do a very good job of promoting myself. I never have been you know, but it's great to have people out there that support, you know, they always say that you don't really apply to the NFL. People push you into the NFL, mm. you know, and, um, uh, and I didn't know a lot of people growing up. I really didn't. I mean, I, I just had, you know, our our Texas Panhandle, Emerald, Texas, where I grew up, those guys, my mentors, that kind of pushed me along the way that said that they believed in me. They said, man, you, you going to be a good official. You, you might consider doing higher level at some point in time. You know, I'm like, really? It's just a game. You know, I was like, it's just a game, you know, like where, where, why, where do I need to be? I need to go to, I need to go to college get my degree. That's what I told them, you know? But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been a wonderful journey. It really has. And uh, continue to learn. And hopefully that inspires other Asian kids to pursue their passion, their dream. It definitely does. I'm sure it does. What, what does it mean to be Vietnamese to nowadays? Man, I'm, I'm so prideful of my, of my people, you know, I, I have the best of three worlds, four worlds, really, you know, so my nationality is Vietnamese, my parents, Vietnamese, they grew up in Vietnam. My parents moved to Laos during the war to get away from it, lived in Laos. We learned the Laos culture. I can speak Laos. My parents taught taught, taught me Laos. My mom knows how to speak Thai. I grew up learning Thai, you know, a little bit. I still have Thai friends today, and then moving here and living here, my wife's Caucasian. So I live like the ultimate cultural dream that I could ever live, live. You know, I can speak Vid Thai Laos. Um, my kids are you know half and half, and so I try to teach them you know the best of both worlds. You know, not just not just one culture, but but to appreciate every culture that that you're a part of, and if you're not a part of it. I always try to learn about other cultures too because not long ago you know we were, walked in their shoes you know the, the new immigrants that are coming in this country you know the, the Burmese the um uh, you know the, the the uh you know the that's the, the South the the Africans you know those that now grew up in Amarillo I mean that's where the meat packing company still is they continue to go there today you know to work in that meat packing company that's where a lot of the immigrants work when when they come and my parents did the same thing when they came to this country. You know, my mom worked at Iowa Beef at the time. Mm. My dad was a worked for Levi Strauss as a as a you know midnight shift uh, stalker. So yeah, I mean, you know, definitely learned the value of hard work. You know, living in in Amarillo, Texas, and uh, you know, great place to live, wonderful people, hardworking people, and that's what that's what really set the foundation to where I'm at today, just because of w- what I was around.
1: Yeah. Now, when I think about your position i think about the vietnamese community and i think about um the players the refs everybody involved in the nfl how does like the nfl sort of prevent bribery and all this money exchange from happening uh, at the levels of you know everybody involved in the institution well you know betting betting is
0: very serious you know for us in the nfl and for us officials too you know we we have we sign a documentation that pretty much says we can't even bet on march madness i mean that's just how serious it is don't be around casinos you know during the season don't be around horse race i mean like stuff you don't want to you know that may shed you in the wrong light you don't want to be a part of i mean that's just the way i mean they yeah, the, the compliance department is very, very serious about that. And and I take it very serious, you know, with that. So, yeah, anything that has to do with with any type of betting, whether it's small, you know, whether it's office pool, anything like that, we, we stay away with it. Because we don't want to portray the image that the game is fixed. You know, I mean, that's that's the last thing. We we, we don't want to jeopardize the integrity of the game. Yeah. You know, the game is very competitive already. I mean, every, every weekend it's, it's competitive. I think the average margin of victory last year was probably, I don't know, six points, five points, something like that across the board. And so, yeah, we don't ever want to portray the image or the thought of the image that we, you know, influence the game.
1: Yeah, so. that makes sense. It, it, it's a very strict code. Uh, of, of You have to carry yourself in a way that it's not even – I mean, March Madness has nothing to – it's you know, it's uh, nothing to do with the NFL. Right. Right. And then similar so with
0: college college football, you know, we we take it very serious. I, I know, you know, we all know that, that betting is big business, you know, out there. And um yeah, we we just don't want any part of it. We don't want our names, our association, our affiliation tied with that whatsoever. So we honor we we protect the game, we protect the integrity of the game, and uh, we we want to uphold the rules of the game. Okay. No.
1: With, with your structural engineering masters and all this education, at one point, I mean, have you let go of that career, or do you still function in that world?
0: No, no, I, I haven't let go of that world. You know, I'm by tr- by trade, uh, I work in the in the commercial construction industry, and so I, I didn't let go of that. You know, just because I, I just love doing what I do. You know, it's a lot of work being a doing what my regular job is, which is uh, in the GC world, and but then also in the fishing world, it's, I'm also busy with that. And plus I have two kids that I'm trying to trying to raise, you know, but no, I, I just have a passion for it. You know, I have the energy and the drive right now. And so I, I don't want to give up my, um you know, what I do on my, on my, do my daily job. You know, I just love it so much. And you know, I get to get, I get out and meet people, meet different industries, you know, meet different trades, learn about the construction industry. Cause it's all, you know, it's, it's changing. Our construction industry is changing as well. And so, you know, what's hot today might not be so hot tomorrow. And, and new ways of building, you know, bridges and building buildings. You know, it's it's always cool that when I, when I go to stadium, that's that's what I look at. I look at mm. structural integrity and the structural design of buildings and, and the stadiums.
1: It's impressive that you still keep your day job as well as <laughs> is it? But could you live? I mean, I a personal question: Could you live on uh, an NFL ref j- uh, salary? You know, I I think you can. You know, I think you can. Just it's just based on really what
0: what what kind of person you are what kind of lifestyle you want you know i mean i i can but you know but but i don't look at it in terms of that way i just kind of look at it in terms of just wanting to be involved in everything be involved in you know the real world the construction world because you know nothing lasts forever right football's not gonna last forever my other jobs not gonna last forever so yeah i'm always looking for the next thing to do you know i might want to host a podcast
1: show someday and just hang out with you don't 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 get me started Lo. i i i tell every one of my guests i'm like if you're on this show that means you probably have a lot of connections and you probably have a lot to say (laughs) don't get me started i'm a i'm a big proponent of having you know more people in the vietnamese community become podcasters because we need more amplification
0: gotcha thank you i will consider that yeah thank you yeah
1: i mean can you imagine you hosting a uh, a sports podcast
0: it's like you know I yeah. thought about that you know I got a lot of friends that do sports podcasts and you know it's uh it's pretty fun they have to getting off you know talking to them for a while you know I've been on several of them with some of my friends uh in Amarillo and uh it's it's been fun you know it's been fun just talking about sports in general,
1: yeah, know? so yeah now when you make a call, ninety percent I'm just throwing out weird numbers here, but when you make a call ninety percent of the time it's probably Clear, cut, dry, simple. But for the 10%, 5%, 3% of the hazy gray area, and you do make a mistake at the NFL level, and you go home, how much of that weighs on you? You know,
0: I have to be honest, it, it does bug us when we make, you know, even sometimes when we make when we don't make a call. You know, like, you sit there and go, was that a hold? I didn't call that you know, and sometimes your mind play tricks on you, right? Because like you said earlier, it's so fast. Like, literally, it's fast. You know, in college, there's separation. In college, you know, you're wearing white jersey and the other guys are wearing black jersey and they're about three feet apart. You see spacing between them. In college, I mean, in the NFL, they are like chest to chest. I mean, that's how, wow, that's how crazy. I mean, for us, that's where the judgment part comes in. And sometimes, you know, these guys are so good that they do it because you don't have that angle. They do it so well. And, and we miss it on the field. Not that we want to, but sometimes we live by our angles. And, and, you know, we always, we have this, this, this philosophy or not philosophy, but this mantra that we it's clear and obvious, right? Like, you know, we we always tell our guys, Hey, if Ray Charles can see it, it's probably a foul. Right. So, but yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, it's but but a lot of the calls, you know, the, the toughest thing to do is not really what you
1: call; it's what you don't call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you keep saying that the whole podcast.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really is because you know you see a whole you can you can you can throw a flag on it all day, but when it comes to the brink of between that gray area, is it enough? Is it not enough? You you, you throw a play up on the screen; half the room can say it's a foul, the other half can say it's not a foul. Or, you know, 80-20 or 60-40, whatever. Yeah, we've had that at the collegiate level and at the NFL level. I mean, these players are good. You know, you guys at home watching it thinking, mm-hmm. yeah, you guys have the best bird's eye view, but you're on the field with them. It doesn't take long for them to cover 10 yards. I'm telling you. I mean, you don't have – I mean, that's why, you know, we always try to be stationary. Wow. <laughs> you see the action. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they're so good that every little, you know, movement they do, is potentially a foul because that, they're just good, great players. The, some of the
1: best athletes in the world, you know, they get paid for doing what they do. What What's the difference between an NFL player and the best college guys? I mean, there's got to be this sort of line of demarcation in the, in the, in the physique. What, what really, is it really your physical strength or is it a mental thing, emotional control? What, what makes an NFL player at, the top level is different from the next best level at the college level? You
0: know, that's a great question. You know, I've always, I've always wondered about that too, you know, because, um, you know, you see guys that are successful in the league today, when they you go back and you retrace their history, they didn't really stand out in college. Mm. And the guy that stood out in college, you know, are kind of struggling in the league you know so it, it, wow. it's kind of and then the guys that come out of nowhere in in college or like some of the best in it like for instance jerry rice you know i throw out jerry rice came out of a not even a power five school nfl legend one of the greatest players that ever live and play the game you know i mean it's you know i don't know what really it's maybe it's just the chemistry because they, they're all strong right if you're able to make it, and you're all strong, you can play. You went through the combine; they tested you. They know what you can run. They know how high you can jump. They know how what you can squat. They, the physicality is there. But that doesn't project into the future. That's not. Right, a- it doesn't project into the future, right? Right. I mean, you, you've had, you've had Heisman Trophy winners that go flat, that, that go, that don't have, you know, that great of a success in in the NFL. You know, so yeah, it's it's you know I really don't know. You know, I'm not a player nor claim to know about the players, but it's I can tell you it's very demanding for them. I can't imagine what they go through on a daily. It's very demanding, and it's very competitive. And then they they got to fight the injury bug. You know, don't forget about the injury bug. Yeah, you know, you get hurt, you can't really throw the way you used to throw. You can't really run the way you used to run. But yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's um, it's a tough profession. Uh, f- for those guys, you know, that's why, you know, when they get hurt, it's, it's a serious, it's a serious thing. And, you know, it's not only it's serious for the team, but it's also serious for them because that's, that's their livelihood. That's how they,
1: they feed and then uh, support their families. That's fascinating though. It, to think about like the best doesn't always mean that you're going to be a legend like Jerry Rice. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: That's, it's, it's, yeah. I, I can never figure that out. You know, it's like wow. some of the guys that, you know, maybe it's, the team that you're on, you have good supporting cast players. I mean, hmm. maybe that has something to do with. Maybe it's the chemistry. Maybe it's the kind of defense you run that shed a light on your ability. You know, if you're a great running back and you're on a team that don't run that don't run the ball, guess what? You have no stats, right? If you're a great receiver and you're on a team that run the ball, guess what? You no, know, I mean, you know, it's there's probably a combination of that. You know, I I don't know, but I think that maybe has something to do with it. But at the end of the day. You know, to answer your question, those guys are very good at every position that they, you know, that, that you see on the on the field. They put the best players on the field. Every team, and that's what I witnessed when I go to these camps. I said, these guys are good. These guys are big, and now I understand that's why this these games are so competitive. You know, and um, the 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 margin of victory is very small compared to you know back in the days when when guys would stay on teams. You know, for five. Seven, eight, nine, ten years—the team pretty much status. Nowadays, everybody's switching teams, you know, year in and year out. So it's never—it's never really the same team, you know, like like the Rams. And the Rams were great last year or the year before that. Yeah. This year, you know, they they struggled a little bit because there were a lot of personnel changes. So yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to to think about, but that's the reality of the league and how competitive it is.
1: What do you think makes the NFL so special? Because I mean, there's a lot of sports. There's a lot of action going on in the world. But why is the NFL so damn special? Oh man, that's a great question.
0: Um, why is it so special? You know, it's the it's the show, you know, it's the big show if you think about it. It's the big show. These are the, some of the I man, who who wouldn't want to see the, the the greatest athletes on earth compete? You know, you have it's it's a combination of skill, grace, power, strategy all mixed in one. And it's just a great product that's out there that people want to watch. College is great. NFL is great. You know, that's why football in this country is so awesome. Everybody gravitates to it. You got, you know, seven year old men to, you know, teenage girls watching it. You know I mean? It's, it's just a wonderful, you know, sport to be involved with. And it's, you know, I I pinch myself every day. I said, I'm an NFL official. I was like, that's crazy. My wife reminds me that like, she's like, does that hit you? I go, no, not really. You know, Mm. like that's cool, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful production to be a part of.
1: It's almost like watching a miniature war happen. Yes. Right. Yeah. Watching modern day gladiator. Yeah.
0: That's what it is. You know, I mean, they go out there and they, I mean, you guys on TV, you know, when you hear the hit, you're like, Ooh, that's, imagine yourself on the field with us. That sound is like 10 times what you hear. And I mean, it's, it's brutal. <laughs> it's like this. I tell my wife, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like getting in a car wreck without a seatbelt.
1: <laughs> when they get hit, that's what it's like. Okay, I'm, I'll ask a, a sensitive question here about your children. Would you advise them if they wanted to go into football to go into it?
0: Yeah, yeah. My friend, my 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 son Boulder. You know, he plays flag football. And he loves it. You know, I mean, I, I'm not really, you know, safeties is huge in all sports, right? It doesn't matter if you're playing golf. It doesn't matter if you're playing volleyball. Safety is paramount number one. You know, the NFL and football in general have done a great job of of doing with technology, mitigating some of that. You know, we look out for, you know, potential, you um, you know, head injuries and stuff like that. So yeah, we have people in place that help mitigate that with equipment with tackling technique you know coach uh uh coach a few years ago with the song with uh with seattle you know they had they put out a video on how to properly tackle you know i thought that was the greatest video i've ever seen growing up i mean i when i was playing you you just try to blow somebody up doesn't matter how you do it you just take a dab but now there's a technique a way to do it safely and it's been proven that you can do it safely so yeah i have no problem with my kids playing football at all you know if, if they if they choose to but yeah, I think I think it's a safe sport. I think it's safer today than what it was probably you know three four years ago, right? With all the technology that we have, and so yeah, I mean everything that we everything that was once legal in our sport, if it you know promotes, if it encourages injuries, we try to take that out of the game. You know, like leading with the head—that's very dangerous, very very dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Growing up, did you have a favorite NFL team? You know, growing up in Texas, that's always on TV was the Cowboys. You know, the Cowboys were always on TV, and so we were either my dad was watching it, or if I went to my buddy's house, we were watching it. So that's who I ended up watching, you know, most of the time. That's that's all they were televised, you know, except for Sunday night football or Monday night football. Then you get to watch other teams. But yeah, I mean, in the in Texas, it's you know probably in this region, it's probably Cowboys. the Cowboys for
1: everybody. What about the separation? of your allegiance and your your love for the Cowboys versus calling a game in Texas. I mean, is there any conflict conflict that you might have? No, you know what when when I when I step on that field,
0: you know, I don't really see logos. Mm. You know, I don't really see like all I see is number 10 or number 11 or number 2 or number 8. And I think about my responsibilities, you know, and that's a great, question, because people ask me that all the time. Hey, when you were in college, did you did you root for the Colorado Buffalo? Did you root for Texas Tech? You know, I, I never I never thought of it that way. You know, I just went out, worked my game. Did my job. Hopefully I did my job well. That was really all that I was concerned with.
1: What kind of contributions do you think the Vietnamese culture, from your perspective, has given the world today? man, we're giving them a lot, I mean, (laughs) a lot.
0: I mean, from food to, you know, the first Marine to professorship to people that's in the broadcast business, you know, Mike Yam and, you know, all these people that's, that's always, you know, on on ESPN on, you know, CNBC. I mean, it's, you know, the culture, the language, the food, I mean, Vietnam is like, if you haven't been there and I always tell people, if you haven't been to Vietnam, you guys need to go. It is such a beautiful place. Yeah. You know, I talked to a, a lot of vets that went and served over there. They went back and they, you know, come back and they tell me it's such a beautiful world. They, they couldn't believe they went over there to to fight. You know, I mean, such a beautiful landscape, people, and it's so modern. I mean, it's so modern. I, I, I always tell people, it's, it's almost like you're walking downtown New York because that's yeah. how modern it is. I mean, you got the, well, I see the, <coughs> but, but you know, the new developed area, it's, it's there as well for them to go experience. When was the last time you went? I went back in 2015.
1: 15. Yeah. Can you imagine? It's seven years later. It changes every six months. New buildings pop up and it's like new restaurants and, new ways of thinking and being, it's totally different than 2015. Every year you go back and it's just like, every six months that I go back, it's just so different. And it's no longer what we think about like when we we're in our, maybe our teens or 20s, it is such a different place to be now. Oh, it's its a great,
0: oh man, you know, it's just a beautiful place to go to. You, you, you experience so much over there. The people are friendly. The people are, hardworking people, humble, you know, but I mean, even people, Vietnamese people here that I meet across the board from LA to Houston, Dallas, Oklahoma city, New York. Also, such. you know, we, we, we come from the same path, right? We come from the same path. We share the same story. Mm-hmm. And it's great knowing that, that I was, we were not alone in our struggles to try to be the best citizens we can here in America, you know, and, I used to love to watch Bourdain, Anthony Bourdain, because that was Vietnam was like his favorite place to go to. Yeah. You know, and I just got hooked on that watching him because of his, you know, he he described it perfectly. He said, you know, it's just a wonderful place. You just go and relax and just enjoy the people. And and that's and, and that's that's humbling to me, too, to know that, you know, my people have that kind of a perception on people outside of our world.
1: What do you think the next few years of your life will be like? Not just within the reffing world, but like overall, because you sound like a person who kind of works really hard and grind and you don't really it doesn't seem like you really put a target out there. You just do your best and it keeps elevating. But do you have a sort of like an aim or focus that you want to do outside of uh, NFL, outside of football, outside of structural engineering? Is there something more?
0: You know, what, my wife would kill me. Um, (laughs) There's always something more. She just wants me to spend more time at home. You know, I I can't stand to sit still. Even during Mm -hmm. COVID, I was was jittery. Um, But yeah, there's always, you know, there's always something. I always want to give back. You know, I I even thought about the other day, I told her, I said, you know, I think I want to go tutor college kids how to do calculus. She looked at me, she said, what? I go, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to go tutor college kids, even high school kids, how to do calculus. I love calculus. I mean, I just love calculus. Period. I mean, I can sit there and do derivatives and integrations and cosine and signs. I mean, I just love it. She's like, Why would you do that? I go, why not? I mean, it's not easy to do, but I think I I get, you know, I get excited over calculus. And that's what I told her. I said, Yeah, someday I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna tutor mathematics at a higher level. And because. My my kid always tells me, Dad, I, I don't understand what you're doing. I'm trying to teach him math, and he's like, I'm not. He goes, I'm not a mathematician, Dad. You got to give me a chance. <laughs> so, but um, but yeah, that's. I think that's my next thing. That's what that's what I want to do
1: for fun. Amazing. <laughs> it's weird, but that's what I want. Yeah. do. <laughs> but now I can see probably there are some parallels with refing and and structural engineering and the precision that you have to kind of the focus that you have to put on all of these uh, ways of thinking. Yes. You know, um,
0: we have to pay attention to details. Yeah. Details, right. Details. And you know, I always tell people officiating. is almost kind of like a surgeon. Like when you go, when you we go show up to a rep, to referee any sport, people expect us to be perfect, right? It's like a surgeon when, when somebody operates on you. You want him to be perfect, right? <laughs> you don't want him like, well, I think I'll cut this part. Maybe I'll, I'll, you know, if I make a mistake, I'll come back to it later. No, it's that's not how it works. But, but yeah, that's that's kind of like the pressure that we have is like we're, we're given no latitude to make mistakes. Yeah, I mean that's just that's this, that's just reality. You know, and sometimes we make mistakes that you guys don't even catch. That's the that's the beauty of what we do. We make mistakes on the field that you guys don't even catch. So, you know, am I going to broadcast it? No, but if my co fish, I will ask him. Hey, could I have done that better? Yes, yeah, we could have. Or yes, we we should have or shouldn't make the call. Yes, I mean it's yeah. And, and jokingly aside, yeah, we want to be perfect out there. Yeah, I mean all officials do from high school. I mean I can speak for you know high school college pros and, and
1: at any level, any sport, we want to be perfect. Lo, thank you so much today for almost, this is a perfect podcast. I, I had such a wonderful time, you know, and I'm not even a sports guy and I learned so much about sports today, about, you know, just not even just the NFL, but the inner workings of sort of the the officiating side. It's a lot of work in it. I tell people,
0: we just don't Goof off for six days and show up on saturdays or Sunday just throw a flag, yeah. You know, I mean, it just doesn't work that way. There's a lot of preparation time, even when this time of year during the off season for you guys, you know, we're we're studying rules, we're watching film, yeah. You know, we're part of like learning new rules, you know, going back and studying film. So that's that's what I do uh, quite a bit nowadays. Is go back and Not review my year and just kind of do a review and hopefully you know just try to try to build up on it, build on that foundation that, that yeah. I've learned this past year. Real.
1: Well, we're very proud of you as the Vietnamese community. I can pretty, I, pretty sure I could say that for the Vietnamese community. We're very proud of you and thank you so much for coming on today. No, thank you. I'm proud of guys like you too, to, you know, to give guys
0: like me that didn't know, you know, podcast exists out there for us to learn from. Because that's, that's what I, I learned from other people, people that have had you know, a lot of success. You know, I, I love reading about that and hearing about that. People talk, you know, it's it's it makes me proud that my people are doing great things out there in every facet of life.
1: Yeah, and we have a real life example in you. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Lo. Take care. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Fam, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trinh. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts.